Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by Washington running back Antonio Gibson, as well as former Washington tight end Rick Doc Walker. I chatted with Gibson for a few minutes at the FanFest event at FedEx Field on Friday. Check out what he wants to do on vacation and what he wants to work on this offseason. Plus, with the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, I talked to Doc about what it was like for Washington to play in L.A. back in January of 1983. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com, and you can check out these interviews and more on the Empire Media YouTube network. Just make sure you subscribe. It's much appreciated. Before I play my conversations, a few thoughts on the quarterbacks who were at the Senior Bowl last week. By all accounts, Liberty's Malik Willis had a good week. Because so much was going on up here, I did not attend in Mobile. ESPN is always well represented there. They didn't need me there. I had to be up here, and that's usually where I am. But I did watch the game and wanted to share a couple thoughts. Keep in mind, before I go forward, you cannot blitz in these games, and you're not running any stunts. So what they're seeing in a game is very clean for them as far as the coverages. It's cover one, cover two, cover three. Very simplified for them, but it's also a week in which they're learning a different offense, even if it's a watered-down version of it, and playing with new guys. So, But the the you're not going to get a full, full glimpse of what they can do in the situation. So the practice is very important with getting to know guys, how their approach is, um, how they take to coaching, how they improve from one day to the next, et cetera. All of that is important. So the game is a part of it, and, but, and that's what I was able to watch. So I just want to share a couple of thoughts. I strongly believe entering the week that Kenny Pickett was Washington's top QB choice out of this group. Doesn't mean they'll draft him or anyone out of this. I also know that consistently executives and scouts viewed the best quarterback in this class, whether it's Pickett or in some cases, maybe some like Malik Willis most. Regardless, they look at each of these quarterbacks as below the five passers who were drafted last year. But in most, in a lot of cases, at least the top guys in this group, they would view them ahead of the Davis Mills and Kyle Trasks, who went in the middle round, you know, late and beyond the first round last year. I don't believe one week in Mobile is going to change the perception because it's based more, that perception is based more heavily on film and traits they have seen more than anything else. And I know one executive who told me he'd love to see Washington take any of these quarterbacks because he wasn't high on any of them. So just know all of that moving forward and keep things in perspective as we go forward. And I know others who said teams are going to talk themselves into liking certain guys more than usual because of the importance of the position and with so many guys having a hard time, so many teams having a hard time finding that guy. I also know it's not as if every quarterback who has become good was some unanimous choice to be that guy. Dak Prescott went in the fourth round. Patrick Mahomes went 10th, et cetera. So a lot of it depends on the situation they're going to. So just because this is what you're hearing now doesn't mean all these guys are somehow going to be bad NFL quarterbacks or aren't going to hit. I think it's just a level that they think they can get to um, more than anything. But sometimes guys surprise you, and that's what you're looking for. That's why you have to scout and go through the entire process and not dismiss anything at this point. Having said all that, here are a couple of thoughts based on the game. Personally, I have a lot more work to do on each of these quarterbacks. It's way too early for me to dive into the draft stuff because for agency, potential trades, they're much more likely to happen at this point with quarterbacks 
than this team taking one at the, you know, certainly at, at number 11 right now, it depends on what happens, but it's like this every year, because you, for me, I'll focus on my own draft analysis slowly and hit a stride in late March or so, because again, free agency is a bigger deal for me right now and getting ready for that. And then also name change stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Kenny Pickett was fine, consistent with his mechanics, was accurate with his ball placement, putting it on the correct shoulder more often than not. I don't think he's going to overwhelm anybody, and he was not as adept at others at getting out of some bad situations when the play completely broke down. But I liked how he would slide in the pocket, move his feet in the pocket to get to elude some pressure. Had a couple tough days of practices, apparently. But in reading Jordan Reed's assessment of him on ESPN Plus, and that's Reed, R-E-I-D, not the former tight end. It's the analyst that I had on a couple of weeks ago. Um, anyway, based on reading Jordan Reed's assessment of picking on ESPN Plus, he had some of those tough days, but he responded well after that. And I think that's important. You're going to face adversity in games and seasons. How do you respond? So that was a good sign for him. And I think there's going to be a lot more with him. It's going to be as much body of work as well. And so we'll see. With Malik Willis, those who have watched him consider him a raw prospect, but the one with the most upside in this draft if he hits. He's not Josh Allen, who is considered further ahead at this point entering the draft. He's not Patrick Mahomes, who did sit one year, of course, in Kansas City. Um, and because of the system Mahomes played in that air raid system, there was a lot of doubt about that. But he was still and he was considered more of a wild card because of that and his style of play. I mean, we've seen what he can do in the NFL with that style of play. But Willis showed his elusiveness and his ability to get out of bad situations. Sometimes it resulted in big runs, but a few times it led to him simply avoiding a sack on an incomplete pass. Those were huge plays, too. I mean, sometimes I think I was looking at it. He, he, would, he saved himself a 10-yard loss, a 5-yard loss, because he could get away from guys. That's big. His accuracy is inconsistent, but in this game, he made some really nice throws to show off what people knew he had, a live arm. He had one third and seven where he steps up in the pocket, throws a bullet to the left sideline for a first down, just a really nice throw, kept his eyes upfield on there. I don't, I don't, he probably could have run if he had wanted to, but I like that he kept his eyes. And again, very nice ball here. A, and a big knock on him is that he does not throw with finesse at times when it's required. I think that's something that coaches and teams would like to see. The hard part with any of those quarterbacks who run, whether it's Willis, Sam Howell, um, is that watching a TV version, you don't know what they're looking at to see. Was that smart or not to do so? With Willis, you saw the rush, though, and it was bearing down on him a few times, and he could usually turn it into a much better situation. One thing that teams I know that Washington loved about a guy like Kyler Murray, who had only started one year at Oklahoma, was that because of his legs, he could make plays while learning the position at an NFL level. Um, and I think Willis will have some of that. I do think that Murray was a better quarterback in college. Again, much better. I thought he was much more accurate. Um, it's just the question on him was always the size more than anything. When I watch some of Willis's throws during the season, I sometimes come away very, very impressed. Another time shaking my head because there were some what the hell was that throws where they were picked off and there was seemed to be an elementary coverage where it's like, why did you throw it there? And that's something that, you know, that's where teams get to ask the guy, like, why did you make that throw? But then there are other times where it's like, wow, very few guys are going to make that be that accurate on a deep ball like that. So I think that's why he's so intriguing for any team. I don't know how high he is on Washington's list at, list at this point. I don't, I don't, I'd have a hard time seeing them, them, 
pull the trigger with him at number 11, because I think to do so, that means you're going to probably play him right away. And I just don't see that happening here. I think for, I think for Washington, maybe an ideal situation, if you get a guy, like if you went out and signed Mr. Trubisky, if you traded for Jimmy G, I would still take a quarterback. And, and if I'll tell you what, if you, if you trade for one of those guys and one of the quarterbacks you like is there at 11, I'm taking him too. get the, get that position settled once and for all. I like Desmond Ritter a lot in this game. I felt he was the best combo between Pickett and Willis. He showed that he could get out of trouble with his legs, but he also showed the ability to throw with touch. And I know what his film showed this year. He was inconsistent on film as well. So, but I'm just talking about this particular game. He had one bootleg where he dropped in a perfect throw versus pressure. Gets out, get, runs to his right. There's a defender coming, plants, sets, delivers a layered pass to a tight end in traffic. I liked another time that against boot pressure, he got around the corner, but instead of tucking and running, he kept the ball alive. So he gets outside running to his left. The players at the receivers are actually going to the other side, but the pressure forced him to come this way. But because he kept the ball alive, and this is something that was big when, when Robert was here, that one thing the coaches wanted to work with him going to his second year was keep the play, keep the ball alive, force the defenders to honor the possibility of you throwing that ball. And that's what Ritter showed on this one. He knew that nobody was going to be, no one's going to be open because there was nobody on his side, but that tactic helped keep the defense honest and helped him gain seven yards. Little thing, but a big deal. Trust me. Another, and finally, another time he showed something I know this team wants to see being mobile is helpful. We all know that it's a great weapon to have. And if you can get a guy who's, who can play from the pocket and also have that mobility and get out plays. We saw what Allen can do. We saw what Mahomes can do in those games. Even Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow gets out of situations as well. And, you know, that's very, very helpful. But the ability to move within the pocket and still throw is very vital. Absolutely vital. On one throw in the second half, there was pressure when the right tackle was beaten. So Ritter slides to his left, never sees the rush, but feels it, keeps his eyes downfield, and delivers a strike for a first down. Now, again, I know what his film showed this year. He was inconsistent. That's why if, if they went for a guy like him, you're talking after the first round, most likely. Um, I just don't, I wouldn't see him at 11, but could they, you know, would it be in the second round? Possibly, you know, I think that would be a good spot for him. Um, anyway, of the other one, Sam Howell likes to run a lot, but he also bought time on a couple of throws by moving up in the pocket and not just looking to run. Most of his second half highlights, though, involved his legs. I did like on one throw that he, um, his eyes followed his feet in the pocket. That's another big thing with mechanics led to a nice ball, nice ball going to the right side because his feet were in good position to make that make an accurate throw. I don't think he's a guy who's going to be coming here, certainly not at 11. Um, and I, I think there are other guys that they would like more after the first round, but that's what, you know, that's, that's a little bit on how Carson Strong was inconsistent. Live arm, accuracy up and down. Even some of those smoke routes, the horizontal, pa horizontal passes were 50-50, whether they'd be on target or not giving the guy a chance to do something with the ball. I did like that he could move within the pocket. He had one third and seven where he threw into traffic with a tight window in part because he kept the play alive within the pocket. But again, inconsistent with his accuracy. And I think that's how he was during the week from what I read. And it's, you know, um, I think he and Ritter are players to watch after round one, depending what Washington again does in free agency or with trades. Again, if you take Jimmy G or, or Mitch Trubisky, you are not done. You're biding time. That means you can still draft a guy and help develop them with, um, you know, somebody else around. And again, I think 
you can look at Garoppolo if they went that round. I keep bringing his name up just because I know that he's available. Um, not that I'm advocating for it. I just know he's available and I know this team would have interest. Um, but if you do a guy like that, you're getting it with the kind of like the Alex Smith situation where you're going to get him and then you want to get a guy to develop too at some point. Although I don't, you know, so that I would, again, if they took him, if they traded for him, I'm still drafting a guy. If there's a guy there that I really like, I'm not giving up a lot for him if they went that route. Cause I want to have the ability to still draft a guy again, just to be clear on that. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with Washington running back Antonio Gibson. I asked him how his body was feeling after the grind of the season with all those injuries he had to deal with. And just know when we're talking, it's about 30 degrees and he's with his wife at the fan fest. There's a little bit of wind. So I hope that I hope you can hear it. All right. Um, I appreciate him stopping to chat. Also, what snow sport does he want to try on vacation? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 to get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code KAIM, K-E-I-M, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 286 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code KAIM at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Antonio Gibson. Antonio, what do you think of the new name and the look? Uh, it's a new, uh, new beginning. It's a something new. Um, you know, we've got a lot of young guys. So, uh, I feel like it's, you know, it's a good thing. Uh, the uniforms, I love the uniforms. Uh, can't wait to put them on and uh, you know, represent something new. Which ones do you like? I like the all black. I really do like you? all black. Why yeah. is that? Uh, it's just, just a different look. Uh, that all black just lets you know we're ready for business. So I can't wait to put that on. How, how are you feeling now? We're a month after the season. How are you How are you feeling? How's the body recovered? And, uh, you, know, you had a couple things you had to deal with. Yeah, I feel good. Uh, I relaxed a little bit. Uh, still haven't went on vacation yet, but um, started training a little bit. I'm already seeing the difference, feeling a little better. So uh, just can't wait to continue and keep growing. Were you surprised you were able to get through as much as you did, given some of the stuff you had to deal with? Um, I actually was. Yeah, I was. Um, you know, it's a long season. Um, injuries come and go in the league. Um, to still accomplish what I did, it lets me know, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm capable and, um, you know,
know, if I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I can be in the league for a long time. How much of those last couple games helped you? Like that last game looked as patient and as you know, decisive on some of your stuff as I've seen you. How much can you build off that? And what did you, when you look back on that game, what was the difference? Um, just adding on from there, and, um, I feel like I just took everything again and I put it in that game. Uh, that's what I have to do every game. Uh, I can't take a step back. I just have to build on what I did what, last year. What was the difference in the game like that? Like, because again, it's not just, I mean, you, the, it was just the patience and all that. Like, what was the difference in that for you that you felt maybe different? Uh, like you said, the patience was my biggest thing. Um, I think the week, uh, coach was like, because uh, I think I started out the season running hard and, um, you know, you could tell, but then he said I lost my patience from last year, and I was like, all right, I got you. So um, I kind of, like, tried to put the two together. I had a little patience, but then when I seen the hole, I hit it as, as hard as I could and got north. What do you think for yourself for next year now? You've got more experience, and, you know, what, what do you – I guess even before we get to that point, what's your goal? What's your plan for the offseason? What things do you want to do? You're going to go on vacation. What other things are you going to do? Uh, just working on my balance, my explosiveness, um, just, just critiquing some things on my own, building up my body, you know, the way I want it to. Uh, my body's not where I want it. What do you, how, what do you want to do with that? Um, just getting my core strength right, uh, my balance, uh, you know, tone up a little bit, um, you know, just personal goals that I have. And, um, you know, hopefully that helps me out in the long run. And then um, vacation plan? Uh, I don't have one yet, but I did want to go snowboarding and skiing. So oh, my really? family, yeah. So my family's up for that. That's probably what I'm big up snowboarder. Doing. I haven't been. I really? just wanted to try something new. Yeah. It's that running back mentality, right? <laughs> just something, to try something um, new. Um, two more things. How's how's the daughter? Uh, she's great, man. Growing, um, I think she got a little sick last time, so Ooh. I didn't I didn't like that. But uh, I guess it's a learning process for me as well. Um, just enjoying the process, man. Seeing the grow, teeth coming in and all, like standing up and things like it's, that. It's, it's yeah, fun, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> and the teeth's coming in. Right now, when our kids' teeth were coming in, it's like that leads to a lot of crying, too. Uh, she hasn't cried much about her teeth, uh, but she does. She's starting to bite now. So, oh, like, okay. all right, watch out. <laughs> Last thing. What do you, with the name Commanders, like, first of all, when did you know it and did it take a minute to sink in? Did you, what was the initial, you know, when you when you hear that, what's, what's it like? Uh, I had a group chat, and I kind of heard from them, but I kind of had an idea. When, like, when did you hear that? Um, I think the day of. Uh, okay. But we kind of had an idea in the locker room. It was up to two names, and um, so those that was one of them, and um, that's kind of what everybody was leaning towards. Do you remember towards. the other one? Uh, Admirals, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, those, I think those were what it came down to. Uh, you know, just a new Do start. Do guys prefer one? Nah. nah it, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> just go out and play. That's what everybody sure. says. If you guys go out and win, everybody's going to love the yeah, name, exactly. right? Exactly. There you go. Thanks, man. Go have fun. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington tight end Rick Doc Walker. I actually talked to him about this about a month or so ago, so that we just kind of kept it strictly on this uh, game in L.A. So I want to know, what does he remember about the week they spent in L.A. back in 1983? And how did his mom come through for the team? Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Rick Doc Walker. What do you remember whether it's like, and that it was very, you're, you know that LA area, obviously. Yeah. So what do you remember about whether it was celebrities or anything about the hype about that game leading into it and just what it was like at that time? Super Bowl 17 was great for me because it was a home game. Mm-hmm. We stayed in Orange County, California, right now by South Coast Plaza at the Westerns. My mom's house is one mile away. She fed the team on two days. We, we did the whole team, but it took two days. And her, my aunts, my everybody came to the house, and all these guys. The house almost sunk <laughs> at the time we had the hogs, all the linemen and stuff in it. I was home, so it was a home game. I got I had to get 64 tickets. I had to purchase through guys 
and I had, you know, my little league coach, Jim Womack, uh, was there and, you know, counselors, Ivan McKinney, Lonzo Moore, all the people I grew up with. So it was like mm-hmm. a home game, pretty much like Brig Owens in 1972, Washington played at the Coliseum and they stayed at the Saddleback Inn in my hometown. That's when I became in love with the Burgundy and Gold because of Brig. And so I've been following them since 1972, their home Super Bowl, my home Super Bowl. We went to the game coming home. We had rented a stretch. And we went through Del Taco after the game hmm. at 1.30 in the morning with two limousines getting tacos. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, That's fantastic. It, it was you, – you could – I played in the Rose Bowl. So I, I won a Rose Bowl and a Super Bowl in the same spot. And hold your ears. We beat the beloved Ohio State Buckeyes yeah, yeah, yeah. undefeated. I, rem- I remember that game. Thanks, Doc. I, I didn't want to bring it up. But you made – you asked me to I was, a, <laughs> I was a young, so, young, bitter kid that day. Yeah, the Rose Bowl, a, a Super Bowl in California can only be trumped by the one that they'll have in Vegas. Right. And it's just – Oh, yeah. Because it has all the elements into it. Well, For what, me, was, it what was the pregame hype like? Especially, you look how it's gone now. What was it like at that time? What do you remember – what do you remember about the pregame hype? That we were exhausted because we had played our Super Bowl against Dallas at, mm. at our oh, game. Yeah. And really the hangover, we never got over it. If Walker doesn't return that – kickoff return we Mm. probably don't win because i've never been with a group of guys that and we didn't get the extra week so we 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 beat dallas it's euphoric nike sends dallas gear because it was all blue because they thought they would go we burned it all none of (laughs) it we burned it so we go out and we're practicing in anaheim home of the rams and you've got all this thing going, Sam Lagarde, uh, WMAL, the radio broadcast in the lobby of our hotel. We got ribs being done outside. It, it, it is a zoo, and you're just exhausted. On the night before, when Joe took us from there to a Pasadena Holiday Inn or whatever, to get away from all of it, you could hear pin drop. The entire, everybody's sound asleep. I looked up. It's dead. We're exhausted. It's not. It's too much to ask to go back to, from a championship game yeah. to a Super Bowl, especially when you beat your arch rival. It's tough. And then we go. We're doing all this. We're saying all the right stuff, but you could tell it was dead. And then when that kid ran that 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 return back, that was it. You could just tell it. It was like, oh crap, we're about to blow this. And then we shifted gears. And our our defense in the second half, it doesn't get enough mention. Riggles run, 70 mm-hmm. chip, gets all the play. I don't think they completed a pass in the second half. That was the most vicious display of defensive dominance, but they just don't get to play because no, right. Petty, Bone, Petty Bone never gets his play. He never that was his finest yeah. moment. He's a genius and yeah. should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll be honest because you know I didn't grow up in this area, and I, but I remember I when I came here, and you'd see the tail on our defense. I'm like, well, are they going to be that good on defense? And they always were because of that guy and his staff. His staff was really good, too, but it started with him. And what do you remember, like, as far as were, were celebrities a big presence before that game? Do you remember anything with that? No, because when you stay in Orange County, California, mm-hmm. and the game's in Pasadena, mm-hmm. you're really never in L.A. Okay. So with the misconception from people who don't know the area, is that had we stayed 
in Century City or been in Beverly Hills or L.A., sure. Westwood, now a whole different ballgame. Yeah, Beverly Hills, that's your neighborhood. Well, Westwood, yeah, but we went there. And I'm not bragging because if you, when you're broke, you don't want to be in Westwood. You don't no. want to be in Beverly. You don't want to be anywhere there broke. No. Okay, right. so as an undergrad, <laughs> that's not fun. But if you can afford to be there, then it's great. But no, all, I don't remember celebrities. I remember our crowd. I remember the Hogats. I remember Chief Z. Mm. I remember all our people. I mean, I think we still travel well. I think we I, get our I agree. on the road. Oh, definitely. You see them all. We, you see them all over. All over. We, we travel well, and I would never disrespect our fan base. Our fan base, they're having an issue now with our management. So yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, I, it's not the team. It's no, not. It has nothing to do with the players. The passion is still there. Yeah, you see. yeah. I just the the being in Pasadena, which again is not L.A. And right. you're going to see, I'm going to make my point this year, when the Super Bowl's at SoFi, that's going to give you what you want from me that that's, I can't give you. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. You. Well, what's your favorite anecdote from the game? Was it, was there a moment before, during, after that you just kind of like, you know, because we all know, like you said, 70 chip, everybody knows that. But is there a moment for you, moment, or whether it's something somebody said was it before the game, during the game, after a moment that stood out to you that you kind of treasure more? No, it's just split right tight, 70 chip. There because it, 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 it's just – and then after that, the, the, the it only is second only to 50 gut against Dallas seven straight times. <laughs> there you go. There's certain moments, and I'm sure if you talk to George Foreman or Larry – or, or um, big punchers, it's guys Norton. In boxing, heavyweights, guys who just the short ribs from the breastplate down. When you start punching a guy and you hear him grunting, this is the greatest yeah. thing can happen in sports. Not the knockout punch, but where you're knocking a guy out into where he surrenders. To where you, you take a man's will. You take right. his manhood. That's, and, and it's like, I, I, I try to explain this to people all the time. You don't know and you never will know what it's like to come out of a huddle and have Joe Jacoby to the right of you. And, and, to, and you go, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not, it's not fair for people. And I, and I, I played against people that I knew personally, really good friends who played defensive line for the giant, like Gary Jeter, my boy from us. Well, that was my guy. Right. Right. And so we were saying some things that I can't repeat here <laughs> on the line of scrimmage. And, uh, and I was just like, I had a big, a, a bully. My big brother's a bully and <laughs> they call them double team blocks, but all I had to do is put a finger. I mean, this dude was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. So he's, he's so disrespected. I agree. Cause if there's a hall of fame and he's not in it, then it's not a hall of fame. Yeah. He should be. This in. dude was phenomenal. And we had him and, and Otis Wansley. See, you won't hear Otis Wansley's name mentioned. Ask Rigo. About Otis yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I just say people, Didier coming on, on the Wham and doing Zooms, that's 250, 250, 320. Oh, it's too much. And you just keep doing that thing with well, John Riggins. Yeah. yeah. That what, was what, fun. I'm 70 chip. What is it that stood out the most to you? Like, when do you when do you know he's gone? When do you know? Like, what you do don't you know? Remember? You don't know the horn. What do you remember about it? I just hear the diesel horn. When I hear the horn, because your face is planted either in the ground or somebody's gut, right. you don't you don't see. 
All you know is I hear the horn. That 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 diesel, whoever that guy was that blew that horn, that's all I heard and all <laughs> I can remember. And that you know that you can look up and there's people running. That's all you can know. And that you hear grunt, and but the people are running. And um, and and then you get up and you go and you see it, and the horn goes off, and that diesel, I go, okay. You don't know that that's it for the game. Right, right, but right. You do know that that's a chip. And then Charlie Brown, CB, and Alvin Garrett, and Joe T rolling out, running scram three. It's just all those things. And Charlie 10 hitch where he blacked the ball is tipped. Bo Camper, I think, got right, it. And right. Joe knocks that down. Huge. I'm the guy out there, and Charlie did the hitch. And you're going, you know, this cover two, you know what's going on. And you're thinking, oh my God, there's nobody out there. But the guy, you know, he tipped the pass. And so you'll never know. What would have right. happened? It could have hit you in the face and broke your face mask <laughs> open. But, but the fact that it was there and you saw it and the athleticism of Theisman, because if he doesn't do that, if they catch it or score, who knows? Different but Joe, Joe knocked it down. So Little details and little plays in the game add up. Oh, man. This, so you could do – because you're a writer. You could do a book just on maybe three sequences of things oh, yeah. that happened in three different NFC championship games or yep. Super Bowls that were defining. I mean, the people in San Francisco still hate our guts on the Art Monk place. They wasn't PI. They're still <laughs> complaining. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. still complaining. And so there's some really big things. And that's what makes me sad now when I drive up to FedEx and there's no bumper lights that I can yeah. drive up, you know, and I look at the stadium now and it really is sad. I'm not kidding. Oh, no, I'm with you on that. It rips my heart out. But I understand what people are doing. I understand the statement they're making. It's just that don't ever take anything for granted. I don't care who you are. It's like UConn women's basketball. I used to say, one thing you can count on is Geno. Well, guess what? South Carolina and them, they don't give a damn about you. That's good for the sport. It is good for the sport, yeah. good for the sport. We need something to galvanize us. And the only thing that can be is wins. Yeah, no, that you better win. Yeah, it, it, in the end, that's ultimately what's going to matter because you need to excite the area and excite the fan base. And it's easy for people to quit when it's not just I'm tired of X, Y, and Z, plus they're not winning. But I still know that there's passion that is surrounding this franchise from fans because I hear it. And I, you know, and I've seen the yeah. people who dropped off, but you still hear it. But it is, it is like I'm tired of this scandal, this thing, this thing, this thing. I'm tired of hearing national people rip on this franchise that I used to love to death and they don't win got to win start there and then then build it back up but that's where it has to start and we'll see doc we'll see but thanks a lot man john anytime man and give my best to Sheen. that's it for this episode i appreciate antonio and doc joining me and thank you as always for listening don't forget please subscribe to the empire media YouTube channel. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. There's a lot of Empire programming on there. I'll be back with another episode on Wednesday as we look to quarterbacks Washington would like to pursue. I'm starting with a big fish. Let's find out if it's realistic. Talk to you next time.